Welcome to the TFMR Mamas pod. TFMR Mamas is a not-for-profit supporting mamas all over the world that have lost their babies due to medical, maternal health or birthing person's health reasons. We have free uh, monthly support groups. We have free Facebook groups for TFMR Mamas, TFMR Papas and TFMR LGBTQ+. We also have weekly paid support groups with mentoring where you can have daily support and mentoring to help you through your journey of putting your life back together after this devastating type of baby loss. Um, This podcast is to give you a place to listen to the various webinars that I have um, taken part in as part of various awareness days so that you can have access to them 24-7 as I know that they will be a good support for you. As always, I'm sending you all of my love. I'm sorry you have to be here at all and I hope that this space brings you some comfort. Welcome to the third panel discussion of this week in support of Baby Loss Awareness Week. And this panel discussion is TFMR for maternal health reasons. And I am joined by three mamas who are very kindly going to share their story and their experience with us today. So Rachel, Janine and Jane, thank you so much for joining today. Um, I'm going to um, ask everybody to mute and I'm going to start with Rachel and ask Rachel to introduce herself and tell us about her experience um, with TFMR for maternal health reasons and then I'll come to you other ladies if that's okay. My name's Rachel, I'm 43, I'm from Leeds originally but I live in London with my husband. Um, we've been married for nine years and we've been trying to start our family since then. Um, I've had a lot of fertility treatment um, and on our sixth round IVF we um, fell pregnant and then I started to um, develop symptoms of preeclampsia quite early um, and then at 22 weeks uh, it kind of went full it get, got full control over me basically um, the preeclampsia became very severe and then it um, developed into help syndrome so um, we were told that the only way to um, control the symptoms and, and save my life was um, for me to deliver the baby. Um, I don't remember it being much of a choice. It, obviously, they talk about choice quite a lot, but um, it wasn't really it wasn't really a choice. It was kind of if we don't deliver your child, you will both die. Whereas at the time, it felt like they were they were making me choose between myself or my child. So. Um, yeah, that was in January 2019. So since then, I've been kind of, I've had quite a lot of counselling. I'm on my fourth counsellor at the moment, trying to find one that kind of worked for me. And um, yeah, I'm still in counselling now. I think it's something that maybe I'll always need just to kind of manage the, the triggers that I face quite regularly, sort of facing other pregnant people and people's baby news and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I feel like I'm in a place finally where I can join something like this and, and talk about it without it being such a kind of traumatic thing so yeah thank you so much for being here and for sharing in this way um publicly for you know this webinar I think it's massive when people come and do something like this I think it's incredibly generous energetically from your heart from your soul from your everything that you've been through so I just want you to know how grateful I am um, that you trust this space enough to come and share today and 
I say this to everyone, please only share what you're comfortable to share. This is um, not for you to go away. You know, I don't want this to take, take, take from you. You know, I want this to be what you're comfortable with. Um, so any questions that I ask that you're not comfortable with, you do not have to answer them. So um, would you mind telling us a little bit more about help syndrome because I feel like not everybody's going to know what that is I think some people will know what preeclampsia is but not everyone will be familiar with help syndrome yeah it's it's something that I wasn't aware of really at all which I dealt with quite a lot of guilt after that not not having done my research as I felt I should have done that you know perhaps I would have spotted the symptoms sooner or something like that um preeclampsia usually develops after 20 weeks but I had symptoms before 20 weeks which um, I sort of questioned and I was constantly told you know you don't need to worry about it it only happens after 20 weeks you know these it just sort of felt a little bit like they were they were managing the symptoms separately rather than kind of piecing the, the puzzle pieces together so when my blood pressure started to really rise um, and then I started to get sort of blinding headaches which I thought were migraines because I do get migraines um then I started to be sick um it, and my I started to get the upper gastric pain which is where your liver is starting to sort of fail basically and your clotting agents start to uh, start to stop working your clotting agents stop working so you, you your body is no longer able to to clot properly and your blood your blood levels start your blood sort of basically kind of starts to eat away at itself so um, I remember sort of just before they wheeled me into theatre, my nose started bleeding and I thought it was because I'd been crying so much because I'd just been absolutely distraught, I'd just been crying and crying. And I really just thought that I'd obviously brought on a nosebleed. But in hindsight, it was my body was now just starting to sort of leak, basically sort of blood was starting to come come out of me and they just could not control it. They tried lots of different drugs, but by the time they realised how severe it was, there wasn't anything they could do so they did try lots of things towards the end but by that point it was it was sort of fighting a losing battle so um as they sort of wheeled me into theater my poor husband didn't know whether he was gonna see me again which I didn't realize at the time I, I had lost vision at that point so my eyes had started to fail I could I could only see peripherally I couldn't see in the front so as I sort of said goodbye to my husband I could kind of see the out the outline of him but I couldn't see his face because my vision had started to fail and I was in a lot of pain and obviously I was absolutely devastated because I knew what what this meant um I seem to remember at the time I in my head because I knew it was my liver that was failing I kept thinking well surely they can just keep me alive and keep my liver going on some sort of dialysis machine I was thinking of like kidney kidney dialysis and I was thinking they'll be able to keep me alive until we get to 24 weeks and then my baby will have a better chance of survival but at that point it was kind of they said to me afterwards it was the most severe case of help that they had ever seen so it just sort of got to the point where there just wasn't anything that they could do anymore so it was it was save my life or lose both of us so so much to and I'm not even going to say process so much to be hit with and mm. what sounds in no time like there's no time the, the, any it, time. it literally it just spiraled so fast mm -hmm. it was it was such a lot of information mm -hmm. and I was on so many drugs and painkillers by that point and my, my you know my eyes weren't working and I was I wasn't really 
able to process quite how serious the situation was Tom was but I was kind of more just thinking about my baby Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that this was like a life-threatening thing but afterwards I, I dealt I dealt with quite a lot of guilt that I should have I should have researched better the symptoms of preeclampsia and I should have known what help syndrome was so that maybe I could have seen it coming somehow I, yeah mm-hmm. I, I think you deal with a lot of guilt in these sorts of situations but mm-hmm. to me I just I felt like I hadn't read up enough on the situation but of course when the doctors are telling you that it's not preeclampsia or the doctors are telling you you know we just need to manage your blood pressure and things will things will come down and when I was throwing up I remember them saying to me it's probably just morning sickness and I, I said to them but I haven't had morning sickness at all and this was in the middle of the night and they were like, well, you know, it can happen at different times to different people that nobody seemed to put two and two together until it was mm-hmm. too late. And by that point, it was just, we were just past the point of no return. So, And we, I, I hear so many mums in this space who we scrabble to make sense of something that we can't make sense of, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to get our heads around that we're desperately trying to find responsibility or where you know if I had just done this if I had just done that then this would have and I think that's our human instinct to make sense to bring some reason to this completely unreasoned situation that we found ourselves in where we end up losing our babies and Mm -hmm. it's a self-protection thing um so I can understand why you would have gone down that you know thing of if I had just done this if I had yeah I I still struggle with that a little bit I still think to myself if I had pushed harder if I had questioned Mm -hmm. more if I had made them take me seriously if I had you know Mm -hmm. queried when they told me it wasn't preeclampsia if I had said well I think it is I want a second opinion but I didn't because when a doctor tells you something is is that way they're the experts that's that's what they're trained to do and so you just believe them and and I went away thinking, well, they're on top of it. They, they've given mm-hmm. me medication, and mm-hmm. but it was the wrong medication, and it wasn't strong enough. And there was a whole there was a whole barrage of mistakes that were made along the way that I sort of have to live with now. Yeah, and and you're trying to reconcile something that's irreconcilable, right? And mm. I'm just so sorry that you your concerns weren't heard, and you did the very best you could at every single point and like you say we go and we go going for help we're not trained doctors we're not those experts yeah you know we didn't go to we didn't do all this training we're people you know on our journeys to being mums like yeah and then we can end up taking on all that responsibility that wasn't ours um was never ours to take right um so I'm just really sorry um that you weren't heard in in the places that you needed to be and I'm just I'm hearing also that you were so poorly that you became not as aware of how dangerous this situation was Mm -hmm. as your husband was yeah and I'd like to come on to that actually after we've done some more introductions I'd like to talk a little bit about that um our partners and you know where other people around us fall in that because I think if you are becoming very unwell it's quite difficult to have perspective on your situation right so mm. 
I'm going to ask Janine, thank you, Rachel. I'm going thank to you. ask Janine to introduce herself and then we're going to come back around and talk a bit more. So, Janine. Hi, uh, my name's Janine. I'm from South Africa, also 43. Um, had to go through the IVF journey. Um, lived a very, very full uh, youth and met my husband fairly late. So we started quite late. So we've been only together for six years. Um, so we did the usual uh, inseminations and it just, it just nothing took. And eventually uh, we had to go the route of IVF with egg donor. So physically, I'm, I'm very healthy. Um, everything was fine. I've got no issues. It was just that my eggs were getting older and they just weren't connecting. And my husband's also older and diabetic. And um, so we were, we went for one round of IVF and were successful the first round. We just could not believe it. And not only that, we were, our last two eggs both took and was a boy and a girl. And uh, got, got through the first trimester and you're always told, you can just get through the first trimester, you're fine. And we got through the first trimester and everything was perfectly fine. We were with a specialist because of my age, being considered geriatric. We were working with a specialist and going for many scans, even through COVID and that. And so this was, um, and we lost them December last year, uh, December 20th, which ironically was our wedding anniversary as well. Um, so it started off with a, a very light UTI, something I've always suffered from, from young. Um, I had spoken to my specialist about it and, and she had been, you know, it's fine, we'll manage it. And it was one of those situations where COVID in South Africa had gotten to the point where you were only allowed to go into hospitals for emergency situations. So um, when the UTI didn't clear from normal meds, um, I had to do a phone call consult and I think that's when things started going wrong because she gave me some antibiotics but obviously couldn't do much testing and then it just never the infection just never went away and then um, at about 20, 20 weeks I started feeling cramps that my doctor told me were uh, just sort of growing pains the hips moving that kind of thing and then I just woke up the one morning at 22 weeks and I said, I wasn't any real pain. I just, it was just a constant, I couldn't sleep because it was just this constant ache. And I was like, no, this is not right. The instincts were like, this is something very wrong here. I phoned my doctor and I said, there's something very wrong. So she said, all right, come in. And I'm very grateful that I managed to select someone like her because she was actually connected to the hospital. So she got me um, admitted into her ward and was allowed in the middle of COVID to then clear my husband to be in the ward with me. And with hindsight, I think she realized what was going on early because from the very beginning, she let, let my husband in with me. And um, I was there for three weeks trying to manage an, the infection, uh, trying all sorts of combinations of antibiotics. Um, the, the fluids uh, started to uh, reduce. And when we went through a 3D scan, it was discovered that there was nothing wrong with the umbilical cords. The infection was actually in the womb with them. And what really gutted me was that they were really big babies. They were happy. They were healthy right up until the last minute. And then just before 26 weeks, um, there was a Sunday morning, um, my doctor came in and she said, 
if you, we don't do something now, today, um, you are going to get septicemia and you will die. And my kidneys were failing. My sugars were sky high. And so we were induced. And six hours later, Jack and Lily were born. Unfortunately, in South Africa, they will only do any life-saving measures at 28 weeks. So even though they were big, healthy babies, they didn't make it. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> it been a while since I've spoken about it. Celine, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for sharing such a precious and painful story about your babies with us today it's exhausting yeah. this whole thing is just beyond exhausting grieving is hard work and yeah. reconciling something that just doesn't make any sense is just even harder um now jane i, I hope i'm saying your name correctly so please correct me now when you speak and introduce yourself if i'm saying your name wrong uh, my name is janae janae yeah thank you <laughs> i know you're fine it i know it gets it's been confusing since I was a little kid. So <laughs> um, it's actually very beautiful to, to look at you. to read your name. I just wasn't sure how to say it correctly. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. I am 29. I'm from, well, I live in North Carolina in the United States. And um, and I've always gotten hyperemesis gravidarum also known as HG, uh, through all of my pregnancies. And I've had five pregnancies. Um, the severity of my HG um, began to grow with each pregnancy, which I didn't know. Um, I had no idea. Um, I didn't research. Um, I guess I just didn't know that that was something to research. And um, in 2016, 17, and 18, um, I terminated um, my pregnancies because of this illness. And um, I didn't know, I mean, I felt really alone because there, the illness, it happens in 1% of pregnancies. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know anybody, no one in my family has had this illness. Um, you know, people, every time I went to the emergency um, room, they would give me packets of paper on uh, morning sickness. So it kind of showed how knowledgeable my um, hospital was and my um, high-risk clinic. Um, they would give me packets of paper on morning sickness, um, which hyperemesis um, is nothing like morning sickness. I mean, it may have if I were to, thinking about it, you know, there's a spectrum and morning sickness would be here and hyperemesis would be way over here at the very um, highest end. And it is life-threatening. Um, so in 2016, um, I met my second partner and um, we decided to have a baby together. And it was great, you know, trying and trying and trying. And then finally I was pregnant and um, it was, it was amazing. Um, but then um, a week 
one week into the pregnancy, uh, my sickness started and I knew it was going to start because it was like that with my other pregnancy. And, um, you know, I knew I was going to be bedridden. I knew I was going to throw up. I knew, um, well, I thought I knew. And um, the, preg the, the illness just kept um, increasing and increasing. And I had to go to the emergency room for IV fluids. And um, for, because I was dehydrated, I couldn't eat or drink anything. Um, the medications they were giving me, I couldn't even keep them in my body. Um, so they would just give me a shot of Zofran um, in my IV uh, and then send me on my way. And um, my, I don't think my, the doctors understood the severity because I would wait in the emergency room for hours. I mean, sometimes four to six hours. And I, you know, I, I started thinking about, do they treat other pregnant women this way? You know, when I come in and I say, I haven't eaten in three days, I haven't drank anything in three days. Um, do they treat other pregnant women this way? I was in my first trimester. So I guess I wasn't um, considered far enough along to be on the maternity ward. Um, uh, I ended up weighing about 85 pounds by the end of my 2016 pregnancy and 2017 pregnancy. And finally they hospitalized me in 2018 for um, my final pregnancy. And um, I weighed 78 pounds. And uh, the doctor, I remember the doctor coming into my room and saying, we're going to continue this treatment and just the night before I had thrown up, um, I ate jello <laughs> and um, I had thrown all of it up and I was thinking to myself, so my doctor is going to continue the treatment that isn't helping me eat or consume any kind of nutrients. I mean, my mind wasn't completely all there from the starvation or I guess in other words, mal malnutrition. Um, but I was starving. I was starving to death and pretty quickly. And the doctors just, in my opinion, didn't know how to properly care for someone with hyperemesis. And uh, after that, in 2019, I had my fallopian tubes removed because pregnancy, um, pregnancy is uh, life-threatening for me now. So I mean, that's just what, I guess that's what happens. You know, it happens to a lot of hyperemesis um, mothers uh, and parents. We end our pregnancy journeys pretty early um, because it's life-threatening. Thank you so much for helping us to understand um, what, you've, what you go through, what you're going through and what you've been through. Um, this is just there's so many layers to your journey because as you say I, I didn't know that I didn't know that HG mums and parents can end up in a situation where they have to go through the procedure that you have 
um, because as you say, like with every pregnancy, your sickness was progressing and getting worse. Oh, gosh. Um, and how, when was your, cause you had five pregnancies, did you say? Yes. Yeah. And then after the fifth pregnancy, you then did it was it doctors that kind of spoke to you about what would have to happen next or was it you that led the next kind of step in your process to safeguard your health what how did that come about was it the doctors that spoke to you or was it led by you um it was me uh, my doctors really they just they didn't really play a big role um, through these pregnancies other than just IV medications. Um, they never um, suggested that I terminate. They were satisfied with the way that the medical care was going. It was just me um, realizing that I am starving to death. Mm. And um, I mean, it was, I guess it wasn't just me. My partner was there mm -hmm. and, you know, he was lucid for the, um, for the pregnancies. So he knows more about them than I do, mm -hmm. uh, but he just doesn't like talking about it. Yeah. Um, but it was me. It was, it was mm -hmm. my decision. Um, and that's kind of brings me on nicely to the next question, really, because in the cases where it's to do with the health of the person that's carrying the baby, um, your perspective on yourself and your situation, as you said, Rachel, and, um, you know, as, as you said, it's just, it might not always be as it is, right? And we might not always understand the severity of the situation that we're actually in, um, especially when our mothering instincts are kicking in and, you're thinking about your babies, right? Because, um, I mean, my situation isn't for maternal health, but I certainly know that that's all I could think about was my babies, my babies, my babies, my babies, right? Like, that's all I can think about, my baby. So how was that for the people around you? So I'm going to come to you, Rachel, first. So how has that been for him? Um, because for him to see you very unwell must have been very difficult and and afterwards, when you were feeling a bit better, how how have you guys kind of process? How have you processed that? And how you know how's that that gone? Because that's quite difficult for you both. Because um, we'd been through a lot of IVF up to that point, we hadn't really dealt with those losses very well. We we were kind of we were just kind of going through the process each time and both finding it very difficult, but not really communicating that to each other. And we had never had counseling before. And during this, obviously Tom was very aware of everything that was going on. And we have a friend who's a nurse and she, he was texting her. I didn't realize this at the time because I was kind of just trying to sleep and not throw up. And he was texting her and she was trying to keep him calm and sort of saying, you know, it could be this. And do you want me to come in and, you know, ask the doctors the, all these questions? So he was the one who was kind of 
in charge, I suppose. He was the one who kept saying, you know, right, I think, I think, you know, someone needs to come and see you again. I think, you know, this is not good enough. And he was kind of fretting quite a lot more. I just didn't, I just didn't, it never, ever occurred to me <laughs> that I would give birth that night. So as things started to progress, it really just still didn't occur to me that I was going to have my baby there. And then I just kept thinking they they just need to understand how important this baby is to us and just put me in a coma or put me on some sort of machine that will just keep me well until we get to 24 weeks. I was so in my head that was that was the time. That's when you know they say that a baby has a better chance of surviving after 24. And I just kept thinking, just get me to 24 weeks. We're at 22. I just need two weeks. Just do whatever it takes. And he was the one who was obviously saying, you know, hearing the doctor saying that that's not going to work. We can't, we can't do that. That's, that's not a possibility right now. So when, when they sort of said that, you know, I had to deliver the baby, I remember thinking, well, at least, at least he'll be with me and we'll go through it together. But I was so ill by that point that I couldn't have a natural birth. So I was thinking, well, you often see, again, I'm always thinking about television shows, Grey's Anatomy, you often see people having a cesarean and, and the partner is there and we'll go through that together. And they said, no, he can't come in with you. And I was like, well, I can't go through this by myself. And they said, well, you will have to put you under anaesthetic. You can't, you know, you're not going to survive this if, if we don't. So I had to say goodbye to him at the door. So I'd, I, from that point on, have no sort of sense of time. I don't know how long. I was there for Tom obviously was in just a, a room waiting by himself and I remember begging a midwife and I still I'm still in touch with her now lovely lovely Beth I said to her please just look after my baby just hold my baby and don't don't let her go until you've taken her to Tom please just don't let anybody else touch her or anything you hold yeah. come to her so yeah. she she looked after her and she was born alive, which they, they did say was a possibility. Um, and Beth took her to Tom and Tom held her and they brought me around from the anaesthetic very quickly so that I could hold her because I really wanted to have her with me. But I have very little recollections of that because I was I was um, sort of coming around from the anaesthetic and but I know that we were there together, the three of us. Yeah. We're there together and we breathed together. And she was alive for three hours and 21 minutes. Mm -hmm. And we called her Georgina. And, and then after that, I was taken to intensive care and I spent a few days in intensive care because they just could not control my blood pressure or the health syndrome. It just sort of, it kind of ravaged through my body really and um once I was on intensive care I remember thinking oh, I'm not I'm not sick I'm I'm okay I would they wouldn't let me see Georgina again while we were on intensive care and I just kept thinking but I I feel I'm starting to feel better now and I wanted them I wanted to be with her mm -hmm. and I was surrounded by unconscious people because people in intensive care are really ill and I was awake Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just wanted, I just wanted to be in a place where they would let me see her again. Yeah. 
and we had a lovely bereavement midwife who came and spoke to us both but I remember Tom saying to me you know we have I have you at least I have you but at the time that just I didn't I didn't want to be there I wanted I wanted him to have her so that he could be a father but we've both been through counseling he he sort of had a course of counseling and then he has he sees a counselor every now and again when he feels he needs like a top-up sort of thing whereas Mm -hmm. I just kind of sank into a depression I suppose I just couldn't I couldn't see the point in anything yeah afterwards no it's so there's so much there that you have got to try and try and process and feel that it's it's completely overwhelming there's too much happened in such a short space of time and for you guys in your coupleship he he was then faced with I might lose both of these you know humans that I love and um so I can understand why he would say that to you and I can understand why you would then sit there and think, but no, that's not what I want. Yeah. Right? It all makes sense to me that you think and feel these things, both of you, and they are different because of the different places that you've arrived in this space. Mm. Rachel, thank you. I know that sharing is um, incredibly difficult. Um, so just we take our time, you know, and we must look after ourselves while we share too so we can always stop and take take a breath thank you um, because this isn't easy this is just heartbreaking and it's you know it's traumatic the whole process and the whole situation is beyond traumatic and it's a lot right too much yeah. too much for one human being so um the fact that you know we all get up and do another day I think that makes us all pretty damn special and I'm going to come to Janine next so Janine um how how were things in your kind of family dynamic who was around you what did that look like how how were things for you Uh, well my husband and I are extremely close um and this entire situation has actually made us closer um, because we now have understanding that it's just us it'll always just be us and that um, we will so we've become more bonded to each other we both come from very close knit families who were absolutely amazing um, my mother is a retired nurse so through the entire time uh, that I was in hospital Chris was communicating with her he was asking questions she was forcing the doctors to do a second opinions um so at least at the end of it I could um at least say that I did everything I could not that it helped (laughs) I still feel very 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 guilty um I was at point I mean for the most of the the time I was in hospital I was extremely compassmentous I was sitting there in my slippers every day bored to tears I was in the maternity ward waiting um I was being told that we just had to, because it was a very hot summer, just get the baby's fluids up, the antibiotics will take effect. And if anything, I'll just be there until I deliver. So for three weeks, it was just about getting them to viability. And I think that's where the 
a lot of the guilt comes from is that I couldn't, I wasn't strong enough to get them that extra two weeks. Um, and for Chris, I think it was harder because he was just watching it happen, sleeping on a chair next to me. And, uh, and I mean, the nurses brought him a bed eventually, so after about a week. So that was, that was very kind of them. Um, but he just kept saying, you're more important. And, uh, you know, my family is incredible. They really are. We, uh, they're always there, especially my mom and my sister. Um, they always, they, yeah, I just have no words for just how amazing they are. And the closest group of friends, we've had very few people say nasty or unfortunate things to us. So we've been very fortunate. Um, and that's that's actually we don't deserve anything horrible in this you know when we lose our babies actually all any of us deserve is love and compassion and understanding um yeah because you know to deal with losing your baby and then deal with other people's nonsense on top is just unbearable yeah. and completely unfair yeah I mean, south africa being a very conservative country mm. uh, you know it's been considered abortion it, that was that was tough, mm. um, but um, well, thank goodness I've got very good people around me. That it's more the people that would say things like, "Well, you can try again." Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Forty three. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll just pop one out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean the whole fertility treatment piece adds adds a whole other layer to this. Yeah journey um because you just can't even believe that after all of that you end up in this place right yeah. uh, I, I used language like that a lot I mean we've got a, a panel on TFMR after fertility treatments um later in the week um so I won't go into it too much now but I just I hear you I feel you <laughs> um the whole geriatric mother thing like means oh. me and Rachel were like <laughs> The worst word in the world. <laughs> oh, isn't it just? It's just exactly what you want to hear, isn't it? Yeah, like, isn't it? yeah, it's lovely. It's just lovely. Just <laughs> so much of this. Just, like, just honestly, you've got to laugh with it. Sometimes you've got to laugh, or, or you would cry, right? But yeah. just, oh my gosh, yeah. some of these things are just so unhelpful. You think, who does this actually help? Yeah. yeah, I can't. Nobody. I can't no. think of one person <laughs> that this type of language helps. Yeah. Anyway, again, another whole another whole hour discussion we could have on that. <laughs> I'm sure. Um. Anyway, so, um, Janae, so would you like to tell me about your dynamic? What was going around with you? I, I heard you say that um on your second pregnancy you were with a new partner. Um. So. Tell us about kind of the support you had around you and um, what people were feeding back to you about how your health was at the time. Well, um, it was my third pregnancy that I met uh, my new partner and um, we, we were excited, um, so excited. We have two children from previous partners and we were overjoyed to be like, hey, you guys are having a sibling. And, you know, the kids were excited and, you know, they were 
um, they were excited. Everyone was really excited. And we shared this news with our friends, our family, Facebook. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was great and crazy. And um, he took a picture of one pregnancy test and I took a picture of, well, we took a picture of both of the pregnancy tests that I had taken and they were both like very positive. And um, well, I don't think anyone checked in on me while I was pregnant. All those people, all those, like it was like over a hundred people that um, had liked um, the Facebook thing. And, um, you know, my, I told my friends and, um, or I told my family through text message about, about it. And um, they, I don't think anyone checked in on me. Um, so I couldn't imagine what he was facing, you know, dealing with, um, just dealing with it alone because, you know, I was in, um, a room, I couldn't be around smells, um, the physical touch made me throw up, um, smells, sound, um, just everything would make me vomit. And even, you know, just, it was every 20 to 30 minutes, my stomach would empty um, straight down to the stomach bile. And it was, you know, I would have these vomit bags and um, he would come in and he would change them out for me. Um, when I would need to take a shower, he would pick me up out of bed and bring me to the shower and he would wash me and he would dress me and bring me back to the bed. Um, he couldn't be around me. Um, I couldn't have anyone around me because the smell, um, the smell of people, uh, just the smell of everything was just horrible. And uh, he, would, he would take me to the emergency room and he would wheel me in on a wheelchair. And, uh, you know, we trusted what the doctors were saying. He trusted what the doctors were saying. And, but while I was sitting out there in the wheelchair, all I could do was just moan in pain. And he just, he had to sit there and watch me. And when they finally hospitalized me, and even through the emergency department stays, he was always in that chair or that couch next to me. And um, then he would have to go home and handle the home business. And then he would have to go to work. And then he would come straight to see me. And, uh, you know, after all of our terminations, through all of it, no one, um, no one checked, no one asked, um, well, his children asked and they asked about the baby and he had to tell them that the baby died. So I wasn't even there for that conversation. So I couldn't imagine, you know, how, cause his kids are, are older than mine. So they have more comprehension of, I don't know uh, if they can understand death. Uh, I'm, I feel like I barely do, <laughs> um, but after, 
after the terminations and once I was ready to talk about it, people seemed to disappear. Like they had no, um, they had no opinion. There was no, I'm sorry for your loss. There was no, um, the only judgment I got was from my father and he called us irresponsible people who murdered their children. So I knew I couldn't count on him for anything. Um, and that's what propelled me into what I'm doing now is I don't want anyone to feel that they don't have support. I don't want anyone to feel that shame or judgment, but I want them to know that there is a space to where they can come to and feel love <laughs> and feel support. Thank you. And you didn't deserve that you know and what you're doing is incredible and you are providing really safe space for people that have gone through this and I know that you'll be bringing such value to other people because you're giving them what they deserve and actually in that space I hope in a way it gives you what you deserved too in that moment in some way so before we go we're coming to the end but before we go um, is there anything that anyone would like to share? Because all of your experiences are so different that it's all because of maternal health and they're so unique and so different. Um, before we go, is there anything that, first of all, I'd love to know. I know that when we look back, sometimes it feels like yesterday and a long time ago all at once. So it's a bit of a weird kind of thing to say looking back. But looking back in the capacity that you can now, what would you say to yourself now versus in that moment then? Um, or, and, and how might you, what words might you give somebody that finds themselves in this position currently? I'll come to you first, Rachel, if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the most important thing to remember is that you are doing the right thing mm -hmm. and that you need to be gentle with yourself because I spent sort of, well, I spent two years before I found your group. I, I just didn't really know where I, where I fit in in terms of what had happened to me. I kind of felt like I didn't know I couldn't find anybody else who understood the situation. And I, I thought that if I sort of voiced what had happened to me, that people would would perhaps judge or not, not my friends and family, they've they've been incredible, but sort of trying to find other groups. I think I felt that the that other people had been through worse than what I had been through. So I didn't really have the right to talk about it somehow, but actually you know, finding this group and finding other people who've been through, not necessarily the same, but who understand the choice in inverted commas that you had to make. I think, yeah. you know, that, that, that was huge for me because it made me realize that, you know, yes, it, it was a, it was a choice, but not really a choice. And, and also it was something that other people have 
had to deal with other people have had to go through and you just feel less alone when you know that there are other people out there who who understand so I think just just finding finding your people is is really important because then you can find the support and the understanding mm-hmm. that that you need from other people who've been in that situation mm-hmm. thank you um Janine um I'd have to say uh, don't let anyone rush you in the process if it's going to be coming and you got time to prepare don't let anyone take them away from you too soon unfortunately in South Africa we don't have cold cots we don't have bereavement suites so you have to say goodbye in the theater um I wish I'd forced them to let me stay longer um and take I would have I wish I could have taken photos but being COVID we couldn't have a photographer um and like and find a good therapist find someone you can connect with and find them soon because the first months are definitely the hardest yes they are thank you good advice and Janae I think the only thing that I would really want to let people know is that you're not alone and that there are people that do and will support you through your experience. Yeah. Thank you so much. Ladies, if I could put my arms through this screen and wrap you up close to my heart with all of your babies, I would. So just know that I'm doing that virtually. (laughs) Um, From my heart to yours, I am eternally grateful for the energy that you've given to this space tonight. Um, to help others please take super good care of yourselves after this chat today Um, do things that make you feel safe that make you feel cozy that make you feel warm that make you feel held and I'm just very very grateful thank you so much for your time today Thank you for listening and you can find all of our links to all of our support and resources at www.tfmrmamas.com. 